reading. Please come in from the foyer and grab a seat, and then we'll ask you to stand up. I mean, you know how it is. Yeah, sit down, stand up, you know, take a knee, take a bow, whatever. <laughs> Welcome to His Place Church. We're just so glad you're here, and we know God's got something special planned for you. Second Peter talks about this, the promises of God, and uh, that, this your first song. It's an oldie, but a really good one, especially the idea does it.
Okay, I'm out of breath. <laughs> you too. <laughs> Good morning. Standing on the promises of God, I, I have a confession, my plan for this morning, my little talk, I've already messed it up, but you guys won't know unless I tell you about it. Um, yesterday for men's breakfast, um, which was very, very good, uh, we read through Psalm 37, and that's what we'll be reading this morning. Um, I wanted to be reading every Sunday, just so you know my sneaky plan, is as we read through the Bible together, um, to pull one of the Psalms or one of the passages last week, I read Genesis 1-1, as we read together to kind of highlight, uh, maybe the highlight for me, and you guys just get to hear what the highlight for me was, um, but as we read together and we worship together in the Word, um, we pray together and we worship in song, that we're kind of not just on the same page for the sake of being on the same page, but it is amazing and beautiful to me when we are reading through Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 6, did we? Yeah, the uh, Second Peter, it's, nobody laughed at that, that's really awkward. The uh, Second Peter, reading through the Psalms, reading through Genesis, and then the Psalm yesterday, Psalm 37, that we read for men's breakfast, was a huge encouragement to me. And I just as I read this, um, think about those promises of God that we just sang about, standing on the promises of God. Um, really quick reminder, just as far as news, right after second service, because we're not having a potluck, um, we will be still having our business meeting immediately following second service. We're going to be in here. Yes. Yes. See, I haven't been retrained. It was my, it was my idea, and I still can't remember. After first service and only service... We will be having our meeting uh, 10 minutes, so we'll close, and I'll remind you again at the end, so you can go say goodbye to your friends that are leaving. You can grab a cup of coffee, and then come back in, and we'll do our business meeting. We'll walk through a couple items and have a time for questions and answers. So don't think about questions during the service, but that 10 minutes after you can. Um, so please join us for that. Um, another reminder is the prayer. Um, I, I said this week, I was joking around, I think Sharon and I talked about it, I think Brownlee and I talked about it too, but it's on the graph, Sharon sends a graph out which with, with which hours are saved. Um, and so we've got every week almost, I think the six to seven hour is filled up for the prayer, praying through the day. Um, and I think, I, I can't remember if it's Tuesdays, it's almost filled up. So now I'm playing prayer bingo. So if we can fill up our Sunday or another couple gaps on Monday, then whoever calls bingo first wins. Um, there's still a lot of spaces open. As we pray, we're just asking for one hour a week commitment. Um, if you'd like to pray purposefully for one hour a week, contact Sharon at prayers at his place, prayer at his place.org and sign up for a slot. Um, let's read Psalm 37 together. Um, again, thinking about what are those promises, the promises of God. There's great, great hope in this psalm. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the day, and your justice as the noonday. 
Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees that his day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and needy, to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart, their bows shall be broken. Better is the little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked. For the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The Lord knows the days of the blameless, and their heritage will remain forever. They are not to be put to shame, and they are not put to shame in evil times. In the days of famine they have abundance. But the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of pastures. They vanish, like smoke they vanish away. The wicked borrows, but is not does not pay back. But the righteous is generous and gives. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen a righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good, so shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. The mouth of the righteous utters wisdom, and his tongue speaks justice. The law, of his, the law of his God is in his heart. His steps do not slip. The wicked watches for the righteous and seeks to put him to death. The Lord will not abandon him to his power or let him be condemned when he is brought to trial. Wait for the Lord and keep his way, and he will exalt you to inherit the land. You will look on when the wicked are cut off. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree. But he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. But transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. Amen. In times of, we'll say pandemic, we'll say in times of trouble, um, we have trouble, each and every one of us. Sickness, there's death in the family, there's sorrow, there's pain, there's suffering. And sometimes the wicked seem like they prosper. I think even in, in, in the politics and in the world today, sometimes, and that's why you shouldn't ever follow social media, 
the, uh, you look and you see where the wicked might seem to be winning. Um, they might seem to be prospering. But guess what? Fret not. Trust in the Lord. He is our hope. He is our treasure. He's who we put our hope into. So let's pray together as we continue in our time of worship. Heavenly Father, Holy Father, our Father God, thank you that you are steadfast. You are trustworthy. You keep your promises. You delight in keeping your promises. Father, help me, help this body here at his place, not to fret, not to be anxious, but to put our trust fully in you because you deliver on your promises and you are good. Thank you as we have, as we have read through 1 Peter and we're moving on to 2 Peter, Father, that we see clearly the gifts that you have given us, the blessings you have given us, even when the world seems in chaos, Father, you are steadfast. Help us to hold on to you. Thank you for this body. Thank you that we can worship in song, we can worship in the word, we worship in giving, we worship in the fellowship of the saints. Father, thank you for the church. Help us this morning as we worship, not just to be hearers, but to be doers, to be lifted up, to encourage one another, spur each other on to love and good works. Thank you, Father. In your son's name we pray, amen. Oh, there.
was doing another song. It starts the same way. Oh my goodness, sorry about that, you guys. Thank you. 
us to be children of God. With all our faults, our failures, our flaws, Lord, you still embrace us like a living child. And we're just so grateful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now that you all have taken your seat, would you please get your Bibles and stand? And turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. Dave, I, I can't believe you used that joke. That was uh, below the bar. Of course, he used it first. I was going to use it otherwise. So. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 12. And to be honest with you, I'm going to only preach from verses 1 to 4. Otherwise, this sermon would be two and a half hours long. So this is so packed with life-giving truth that I, I, I just humbly ask you, listen closely to what God is saying here. Simeon Peter a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who've obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he's granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in this world because of sinful desire, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, they will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is God's word for you today. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord. Simply, I pray that you would help us to hear your word. Let it ring forth in truth and clarity. Please, Holy Spirit, illumine our hearts and minds to understand what you've written here through Peter. Oh, grant us that we would welcome this. Oh, grant us that we would appreciate and love what you're saying and live by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This letter, like 1 Peter is written to believers in churches scattered throughout Roman provinces in present in what we call present-day Turkey now, 
but then it was called Asia Minor. And these provinces were called Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Why do we know that this letter is to the same group of people? Because in 2 Peter 3.1, Peter says, this is now the second letter I'm writing to you. And church history records no other real letters from Peter. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2, or excuse me, chapter 1, verse 14, Peter knows as he's writing this letter that he's not long for this world. Peter very likely is in Rome at this time. He may even be imprisoned at this point. Why do I know that? In 68, Nero, the Roman emperor, dies. Before he dies, Peter is killed. History records that Peter was crucified after first watching his wife be crucified. Peter knows that his days are not very long. In fact, Jesus, I think it's in John 21, had told Peter, this is your, this is, he predicted his death. And so Peter knows he's got very few days on this earth left. So he's writing to this group of believers. And if you think about it, when somebody writes close to the end of their death, you can imagine that, that the content that is what he's putting in is that which he wants them most to remember. And in fact, you will see in verse 12, if you look at it real closely, verse 12 says, therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, verse 13, as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by, by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body, that's his death, will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So do you see the intensity that Peter is writing with. He wants these believers to know what they need to know to make it. Why is he writing? Remember, the first letter was written to believers, the same group of believers, and they were beginning to undergo intensified persecution for their faith. To be a believer in that society was to be suspect, was to be called an atheist. Why? You didn't worship all the gods that the Romans uh, worshipped. You, you, you didn't give a pinch of incense to Caesar proving your loyalty. You called Jesus your Lord, not Caesar. So the society thought you were a rebel and a renegade, untrustworthy. In fact, they thought you were morally corrupt because they didn't understand the Christian love feast and they didn't understand the Lord's Supper. So there was external persecution to believers at the time, but Peter is writing this letter because now within the ranks of the church herself, there is a rising false teachers. Suffering, persecution is coming now from within the church, within the visible church. These false teachers are not actually believers. They're people who had claimed to be believers. So this, because Nero died in AD 68, this letter is probably written somewhere between 65 and 67. And it's written only just one, two, three years after the first letter. So there's not a lot of space between the two. So as we've seen, Peter's first letter was written so that they could live faithfully and joyfully in the midst of suffering for the sake of the gospel. But now this persecution is coming from inside the church. False teachers who had claimed to be believers were part of their local congregations were drawing people away into heresy. Drawing people away. They were distorting the scriptures and they were denying that Jesus Christ would ever come again. So what I want you to see, and I'm going to give you a quick roadmap to this, to this book. Chapter 1 deals with the knowledge of God and how important it is that you have it. 
These aren't my points of the sermon. These are just the overviews. Chapter 1 is the knowledge of God. Chapter 2 deals with the false prophets. And chapter 3 deals with the fact that Jesus will return. That's your overview. Okay? Knowledge of God, false prophets, Jesus is coming back. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. All right? Now, I'll be honest with you. I'd intended to go all the way to verse 12. But as I was scripting the sermon, because I wanted to say things rightly, I realized this is going to be like two and a half hours and we wouldn't have time for lunch or anything else. So you're welcome. I'm only going to do the first four verses. But let me tell you what's in the first four verses you need to know. You need to know. Desperately, we need to know. So look, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. We see that the true knowledge of God brings blessings into the life of every believer. And over the first 12 verses, there are three blessings that he brings out. We're only going to look at two of them today. But in verses 1 and 2, we see the first blessing, and it's this. A true knowledge of God brings grace and peace into our lives. A true knowledge of God brings grace and peace into our lives. And this comes right out of the text. So read, read chapter 1, verse 1 with me. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Simeon, he uses that term. It's just simply the Jewish version of Simon, which is the Greek version of Simeon. Simeon Peter, Simon Peter, he calls himself first a slave, a servant, one who is totally under Jesus' authority, submitted totally to Christ's leadership. He also calls himself an apostle. And the word apostle has two distinct meanings. The root word means to be sent out. So an apostle, sometimes scripture uses apostle to refer to people who are sent out by a church on a mission on behalf of that church. Sometimes it's used technically to refer to those who Christ chose to be his primary ambassadors and to bring his word to the church. Peter is using it in that technical sense here. He's calling himself an apostle chosen by Christ as an ambassador. So what I want you to see is when you combine those two, he puts his humility before his position of authority. And I think that's because God's leaders need to be servant leaders. Gee, does that sound like First Peter to you? Me too. Notice Peter himself is in himself a slave of Christ, and a slave ultimately has no authority. However, he's also an apostle who bears delegated authority from Christ. He's chosen by Christ to bear his word. And again, in 2 Peter 3, 1 and 2, he writes, this is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, 1 Peter 1 and 1 Peter 2, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. Now, here's what I want you to see. The word mind is very important because he's going to talk about the knowledge of God and the value the scripture puts on knowledge reaching your mind about God is super high, super high. <clears throat> In both of these letters, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember what? The predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Notice that Peter, as a slave to Christ, has no inherent authority as a slave. However, as an apostle chosen by Christ, he is sent to help shepherd the church with the word of Christ, which has authority. Peter has apostolic authority, but Peter's authority comes from Jesus' word, 
not himself. And while we no longer have apostles today, the same is true for pastors, for elders. I have no authority as a pastor within myself. The authority all comes from God's word. That's why elders, pastors, must be able to teach because their shepherding is done through the authority, the truth of God's word. See? Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, through those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Interesting, the word obtained is a word that's usually mean to, to acquire something by lot. By lot. Kind of strange concept, isn't it? Think back. Remember in, uh, um, in Acts chapter 1, the 11 disciples are left, Jesus has been resurrected, and Peter says, hey, the prophets said that there must be a replacement for Judas. So what did they do? They pray to the Lord to decide between two guys that had been there the entire time of Jesus' ministry, and then they cast lots, asking the Lord to reveal his will through casting of lots. So in this case, you'll notice that Peter, and by the way, that's the only time in the New Testament that that's ever done. <laughs> Why? Once they have God's word, they don't need to cast lots anymore. <laughs> I don't recommend that as a way to determine your, oh, what should I eat today? <laughs> Spinach again. Great. Yeah, no. Um, so in 2 Peter here, it refers, obtaining refers to receiving something by divine will, not by one's effort or as a result of one's ex exertions, but by God granting, and what does he grant? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing. Whoa! It, it's a result of God granting faith as a grace gift. It's not by chance or by our own effort that we obtain faith. Peter is reminding us that our position in Christ is not due to merit, but grace. Grace. You're a believer because of grace. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says the very same thing. You know this verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this isn't your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. The words, this is not your own doing, point back to the entire first phrase, including faith. You see, faith is a grace gift of God, scripturally speaking. And it's not a result of works, so none of us can boast. So how does God give us this gift? How does faith come? Ah, thank you. Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Some of your translations say word of God. That's why we share the gospel with people because that's where faith comes from. How does it work? Well, Acts 16, 14, remember, Paul is preaching and there's a lady named Lydia there. And it says, as Paul preached about Christ, he's sharing the word, he's sharing the gospel about Christ. What happens? The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. It's the Holy Spirit that comes and opens our minds and hearts to understand the truth of the gospel, to receive it, to accept it, and to welcome it. Oh, thank you, Lord, that you did that for me. <laughs> it wouldn't happen to me any other way. You neither. That's why we receive a faith of equal standing. We receive a trust, a commitment, an allegiance to Christ that is equal in value to Peter's faith. Um, 
Okay, as a pastor, I'm trying to think how I could illustrate this. As a pastor, um, it's not uncommon for people to come up and ask you to pray for them. And I'm totally glad to pray for anybody, right? Just like you are. But once in a while, I have a sense that somebody thinks, I got the red phone on my desk, you know, the hotline to God. And provided they're a genuine believer, part of my job is to convince them that they got the same hotline. Because the ground is level at the foot of the cross in terms of our relationship to God. There's, we have a faith that's equal to the Apostle Peter's. Whoa! Let me encourage you. All true believers have equal standing in salvation before God, identical to Peter. We all have the same access to the Father in prayer. We all share the same promises in Jesus. We're all gifted and dwelt by the same Holy Spirit. Now, we don't have Peter's authority as an apostle, but our faith is the same kind as his. And this faith comes, go back to your text, look at verse 1, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This means that our faith either comes through Jesus' righteousness, like his righteousness is the conduit by which he gives us the gift of faith, or that our faith is in his righteousness. And I'll be honest with you, both are grammatically possible, and I'm not sure which one it should be. (laughs) But the result is the same. Think about it. Through faith, Jesus' perfect righteousness, lived out in perfect obedience to the Father, is accounted to us, and the Father declares us legally justified, not guilty. Why? Because of Christ's righteousness. And our faith comes through the righteousness of Christ. Either way, we depend on Jesus' perfect commitment to doing what is right. Because his righteousness is that which is imputed, is given to our account, by which we can stand with equal standing before the Father, justified. See, we depend on Jesus, his, his, his righteousness, and not in any merit of our own. We're utterly dependent on the, the righteousness of Christ for our salvation and for our standing. And that, frankly, leaves us no room to boast. Zip. Nobody, nobody can say, hey, I did this. I didn't do this. Neither did you. God. The source of saving righteousness is Jesus Christ. And Jesus is, notice he calls him God and Savior. Jesus is God. He's truly divine. Some people will tell you that God here is referring to God the Father. But the way this is constructed in the Greek, both God and Savior are pointing right to Jesus. This is one of the clearest texts there is in all of Scripture that Jesus is fully, truly divine. <coughs> it is his righteousness that gives us equal standing before God. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says this, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel... For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, that's the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it's written, the righteous shall live by faith. So through faith, Jesus' perfect righteousness lived out in perfect obedience to the Father is accounted to us. And the Father, on the basis of Christ's righteousness, declares you and I Fully just, not guilty. That's our standing before the Lord. 
Did we earn it? No, we couldn't. It's a gift. That's how we have equal standing. Why? Because Jesus' righteousness has been applied to us. Look at verse 2. Verse 2. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Paul is praying for these believers. A little quick prayer here. Grace, may grace be multiplied to you. God's unearnable loving favor and kindness towards us, may that be multiplied to you, believers. May, may his peace with him and with each other be multiplied to you, believers. May be it multiplied, may it be yours in greater and greater abundance. May it increase, may it grow. And God's the one who's gonna do the multiplying. That's, that's what he's saying here. But notice... He says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. In the knowledge. It's probably better translated through the knowledge. That's how Numeric Standard, NIV, and Christian Standard translate it. And I think that's a better way of thinking about it. In other words, the knowledge is the pipeline through which the multiplication of grace and peace pour out to you. The knowledge of God. See, knowledge here is far more than just knowing a few things about God. But it's a true, growing, spirit-illumined knowledge from God's Word. If you read 1 John 2.27, you'll see that the Spirit is the one who helps us to understand the truth of God's Word. But look, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, he says this. Listen. You therefore, beloved... Knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. God's grace and peace come to us through the knowledge of him. Through true knowledge of God the Father, through true knowledge of Jesus our Lord, through true knowledge of the Holy Spirit, and this knowledge is only found where? Scripture. You can't find it anyplace else. Notice the stress Peter puts on knowledge of God. Why? Because grace and peace only become abundant in our lives when we grow in the true knowledge of God. If you don't grow in the true knowledge of God, you're not going to have an abundance of grace and peace. So true knowledge of God brings grace and peace into our lives. And number two, whole two points today. A true knowledge of God brings power for godly living. And you'll see that in verses three and four. Power for godly living. Look at verse three. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. What a statement. His divine power, listen to the, the inexhaustible, unlimited, universe-creating, resurrecting, new heart-giving, sinner-saving, utterly incomparable, transforming power of Jesus, that's what he's talking about, his divine power, that power, that divine fount of eternal energy, inexhaustible, is the source of everything that God has granted to us. Do you, do you get the feeling that there's something big here? God's power has granted. It means to give it as a gift. God's power is giving us something that we don't earn and that we don't work for, but it's granted by Jesus as a gift to us. What is it? 
What is he granted, gifted, given to us that's backed by all this power? What, what is it? Verse 3 again, his divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness? Yeah, whoa. Jesus' life within us, that's the life he's talking about. Jesus' life, eternal life, genuine, eternal, new heart, new desires, born again on the inside life, and godliness, the external outworking of that internal new life, the outward expression of our new lives in Christ, living like Jesus. Jesus' divine power has given to us everything that we need to live lives that are pleasing to God. Think about that. The goal of Jesus' giving is what? Is that we live holy lives and his divine power is the source of every single thing that we could possibly ever need to live godly lives, even when times get tough, even when the persecution comes and it's coming, even when we suffer for the cause of Christ. Think about this. We're talking about his promises. This is a promise par excellence. This is an immense, life-changing truth. Jesus gives us everything we need, not just some of what's necessary, not just a, a portion of what you need, not even most of what is required, but rather Jesus has granted to us everything, all things, every bit of it that pertains to life and godliness. But, that power to live a God-honoring life only comes through one particular conduit. God's power for living only pours through one pipe. The truck of his blessing, so to speak, only comes down one road. I don't have any more metaphors. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Through the knowledge of him. The power to live godly lives only comes through true knowledge of him. The divinely given abilities necessary for you and I to live this Christian life only come through knowledge of him. How important is knowledge of him? It's huge, isn't it? Huge. There is no other place we can find it no other spring to drink at, no other source of power than through the knowledge of him. I'm just going to read it again because scripture says it better than I can. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Where do we find this knowledge? I don't know about you, but I gotta have it. Because that's the only way I'm getting what I need to get. Only in the scriptures. This is it. Where has God revealed himself? Only in his word. So how important is God's word to our lives as believers? You cannot have the power of God without it. Think about that. I've known many believers who claim to have the power of God 
apart from any meaningful time in his word. That's not power. That's play acting. Sound teaching from God's word. By the way, the word teaching is the same word as doctrine. Sound teaching from God's word, doctrine, rightly understood, is absolutely essential if you're going to please God with your life because that's where his power comes, through that knowledge of him. I've had people tell me, I I remember I I began uh, serving at one particular church and almost the first meeting I had with one of their, uh, their leaders he sat down and he said to me, uh, I'm not much into this doctrine thing. I'm like, dude, you must not know what that word means. <laughs> it means what the Bible teaches. You're not into what the Bible teaches? We got rid of that quick. That, not him. We kept him, but that idea. First Timothy or 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I bet a lot of you could quote it with me. Don't because we all learned it in different versions. All scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God and profitable for what? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God, and for that matter, the woman of God, the boy of God, the girl of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is sufficient for all of this. It teaches us what we need to know. It stops us from doing what is wrong. It straightens out the bent places of our lives. And it trains us how to be like Jesus so that we can always be prepared to please God in every situation. God's power only comes through the knowledge of him. And the only place to find that knowledge is in his revelation of himself in his word. Not only is grace and peace multiplied through the knowledge of God, verse 2, but the knowledge of God is also the conduit through which his divine power to live flows into your life. God's power flows to those who strive to know him better and better through his word. No word, no power. And I know that um, some of my friends in the past would have said, Dave, well, how about the Holy Spirit? Is he not the source of power? Absolutely. But if you pay close attention, you will never find the Holy Spirit separate from the word that he wrote to you by which he empowers you. The word is not the spirit, it's the words of the spirit and he empowers those words in your life to change you, to give you power. Don't make that artificial distinction. Never separate the spirit from the word that he has given you to hear his words. (laughs) No word, no power to live. Know the word. Receive the power to honor Christ with your life. So, um, can I ask you a very sincere question? Sincere is a heart attack. That's the wrong way to say it, isn't it? (laughs) Sincere as sincere can be and serious as a heart attack. There we go. How is your, don't answer this out loud. How is your intake of God's word? How is your intake of God's word? You cannot have the power of God without it. So let me ask you, are you well fed? Are you well fed? Don't don't answer this out loud, but are you well fed at church? If so, that's one good meal a week. How many of y'all have had a meal today? I'm planning on having two more. Tomorrow is my 30th anniversary 
by God's grace. Right, babe? Yeah. Tomorrow, I'm actually planning on eating really well, at least one time to celebrate, right? But I keep eating every day. If we only eat from God's word once a week, it might be a good meal, but it's not sufficient, is it? Are, are you well fed in your growth groups? If you are, that, that's another meal. That, that's two a week. How would you do with two meals a week, brother? Not, not very good. You, I mean, I wouldn't look like I look if I was on two meals a week. I can guarantee you that. I wouldn't need the slimming power of an untucked shirt at that point. But the real key, not only are you well-fed at church, are you well-fed in your growth group, and I encourage you, please be faithful to both. Why? We need each other. We're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. We need to do the one another's, and the only way you can do that is with people you actually know. So we've got to get together regularly and encourage one another in and with the word. <laughs> However, those aren't enough meals. So how are you self-feeding at home? Because that's all the rest of your meals. All the rest of your meals come by self-feeding. Are you reading and studying God's word and thinking deeply about it and applying it so that you know God better? And can I say, I don't think there's a better reason to read God's word. You know, I as a pastor, I study a lot so that I can teach. But I've got to remember myself that the best motive possible to read God's word is, Lord, I need to know you. I need to know you. I mean, I can know all this stuff, but I need to know you. So my encouragement is this, for you as my brothers and sisters, when you open God's word, pray, pray, oh Lord, open my eyes to see and know you better. All the other stuff, super important, but that's the highest and best desire. And the best thing you could possibly gain from God's word is to know him better. Also pray that he will help you to have a willing heart to obey. And you know what? He'll reveal himself to you, and he'll help you to obey. Why? Because as you grow in knowledge of him, he will pour the grace and peace and the power to live the Christian life in, right? That's why the preaching and teaching of God's word is absolutely central to a healthy church. Can I say, as your interim pastor, do not settle for a long-time, long-term pastor who does not feed you well on God's Word. Don't even think about it. It's crucial that you be fed God's Word. Crucial. That's why preaching and teaching of God's Word is absolutely central to a healthy church. Why? It's absolutely central to a healthy life. That's why Bible reading and Bible study is so crucial to our lives as believers. Why? Because God's divine power for life and godliness only comes through growth and true knowledge of Him, and that's only found in the Bible. Now, I'm going to try and illustrate something that's going to sound strange. How many of y'all have been to the Puyallup Fair? Puyallup Fair. I grew up in a suburb of Tacoma called University Place. And I look forward every year to the Pallet Fair because my parents would take me and I'd be set free. You know, so you got this little kid with a few dollars in his pocket running around and I love going through those big old barns where they got, you know, the, the vacuum cleaner salesman. And I like that stuff. And they'd give you free stuff. So you get the free bag from one guy and the free pen from the next guy and the free bag of Cory Slug and Snail Death from the next guy. <laughs> yeah, I, I love getting those. I don't know why. Never used them. Um, 
But one thing I do remember about the Puyallup Fair was that there was always a midway, and they had the games, you know, you could play the games and get the prizes, and they had rides. And I rarely had enough money to ride a lot of the rides, but I remember they always had, and I bet you they would have it this year if they had it, they'd have a fun house. You know what I'm talking about? That place that's full of mirrors. You remember, if you've ever stood in front of one of those mirrors, some of them make you look big. I don't need that mirror anymore. But the kind of mirror that makes you look slim, I wish I had one of those. Think about that. Some of us, when it comes to God's word, may have gotten used to a starvation diet. We may rarely nourish ourselves on God's word. And for that reason, if you could see yourself spiritually, you wouldn't need that funhouse mirror. You'd look skinny and emaciated, spiritually speaking. Well, on the outside, we may not look that way. When we fail to feed ourselves regularly on God's word, we lack his power for change. And living for Jesus sometimes gets so hard that it just seems impossible. And we ask, why? Why aren't you helping me, Lord? Where's the power to be different, to change? I'm stuck in my sin. I'm trapped. You're not eating. Can I say that it's time to eat hearty meals from God's word on a regular basis? It's interesting. Um, there is, there's a show that I actually like to watch. I'm not sure I recommend it because it's a show about sinners doing real life things and so they have to bleep a lot of stuff. What they do is they take 10 contestants and they send them out to a very remote part of the world like the Arctic. They separate them and they, they have 10 tools and then they're called to survive as long as they can on their own alone and they have to film it. And the reason why they do this is because whoever's the last one, the last person standing, gets half a million dollars. So there's a lot of motivation to stay out there. So I've watched a few seasons of this, and, and it goes between 50 and 70 or so days. A few people make it that long. You know what happens along the way? They start removing people because they can't feed themselves. They've lost their hook, so they can't fish. The ice freezes. They can't get through the ice to the fish. They, 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 some, sometimes they lose the ability to cook their food because they, they can't make a fire. And you, what you see is people becoming less and less able to just manage life. They don't want to get up and they start, concern, they start being concerned about everything. They start thinking crazy stuff. And what happens is a medical team comes in, they check them out and said, you're, you're, you're in danger now, we need to remove you. And what's interesting is the last two people typically are on their last leg. They can hardly think straight. Why? Because they're just not eating very well. They're not functioning very well. Some of us are like that. Because once again, we've gotten used to a starvation diet. We get skinny, spiritually speaking, emaciated. We look like we're standing in front of one of those carnival mirrors. Another example. Um, okay, when I turned 25, my metabolism began to slow down. I was a very active guy before then. You know, I like, I'm a competitive guy. I played competitive, like, you know, tennis and racquetball, and I played on City League softball team. That's how I stayed skinny back in the day, because I'm competitive. And so if I compete against somebody, I'll try really hard and keep at it. 
problem is at 25, something slowed down, and I started to add on a little bit of weight because I'd just been married a year, and she cooks. And, and so what happened is it seemed like every year I'd add just a few more pounds and a few more pounds. And I'm like, man, how do I get rid of this? I used to be able to just think about losing weight, and I can't. Well, I thought, well, there's these diet drinks. Anybody heard of Herbalife? I had a Christian roommate that sold Herbalife. Don't you love those kind of roommates? You know, hey, Dave, would you like to buy some Herbalife from me? I said, no, but I'll become a distributor so I can get it to your cost. And I distributed it to no one so that I could just have it to my own cost, at that cost. And you know what? You'd, you'd take some of this powder, you'd put it in a, a mixer, and you'd blend it with water or something else, and you'd drink this nasty tasting stuff down, and it would satisfy you for, oh, half an hour. And, and then I tried Slim Fast, and those taste pretty good, Right? You ever tried those, you know, the chocolate ones? Shake them up real good, and they kind of taste like a malted. The problem is a half an hour later, I want another one. And another one. Diet drinks don't work real well that way. Um, some of you are spiritual dieters. Setting, settling for something less than a real meal. Some, and I'm going to say it this way, and I want to say this very gently, because... Um, the, 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 I'm going to talk about devotional books. And there are two categories, at least, of devotional books. And I want to tread lightly because I know I have used devotional books to much advantage. You know, Charles Spurgeon's Morning and Evening is good. Why? It points me to the Scripture. I've used Oswald Chambers, my most, utmost for his highest in the past. It points me to Scripture. But can I say that a devotional book, generally speaking, is a very small meal. Very small meal, Right? It's not enough to actually get you through a whole spiritual day. Some of them are sort of like that diet food. They're, and some of them are actually full of very empty calories. They give you just enough of a snack to satisfy a momentary hunger, but nothing more. And the problem is we've gotten so used to not having it, having real food, that we can be satisfied by that and go the rest of the day. Some devotionals are helpful because they can take you straight to the Word, but you're going to need more than that. And again, I want to say this very gently. Some devotionals are dangerous. Why? Because they substitute something else for God's Word. Often they take the form of a feel-good encouragement aimed at momentary felt needs, but they are powerless to make you Christ-like. Why? Because they're not God's word. They just sound like it. And they train your spiritual taste buds to hunger for empty calories and not to hunger for the true nourishment of God's word. You can't thrive on that kind of meal. It's like drinking Slim Fast. It might taste good, but it can't nourish your soul. Nor can it help you grow in the knowledge of God through which comes the grace, the peace, and the power for godliness that you and I need. And in case I'm going to make my point, here's a quote from an unnamed author of an unnamed devotional that happens to have sold 30 million copies. This is a direct quote. I had been writing in prayer journals for years, but that was one-way communication. I did all the talking. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. See the problem? This person is saying, 
I'm only communicating one way to God, but I'm yearning for more than that which he's communicated to me in. Do you see the problem? I'm going to make a recommendation to y'all. I'm, I'm a journaler, uh, only because I was forced to be, but I, I'm blessed by it now. I don't journal my own thoughts. Um, what I do is I journal scripture. I, I write out the scripture. Typically, it's a psalm, or right now my son and I are going through John. So we'll write out a couple of pages worth of scripture, typically a whole psalm or a full chapter or a part of a chapter. And then we'll go through, and because that forces you to read it and reread it as you're putting it down, right? And then I start circling words that are repeated, and I try to, try to make connections in what God is saying through the scripture. And then I pray based on his word back to him using his language back to him. If you think about it, the Psalms are all prayers to God of every struggle and every joy in life. And if you make this a habit, you will find that God will communicate to you because as you journal, write out, read, meditate on his word, he is speaking to you. And then as you pray his word back to him, trusting what he says, thanking him, this is two-way communication. That's how I would encourage you to journal. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Where are you going to find that? Right here. God's word has no substitute it has a different nature than any other writing. It alone is divine. The Holy Spirit inspired every word. It is sufficient for our lives. If you are spiritually hungry, if you're really longing for more, and what believer is not? I want, I want, to, I want to endorse that feeling. I want more of the Lord. Yes, me too. <laughs> Let's go to his word. If you really want to hear from God, read and listen intently to his word. If you hunger to hear him speak to you audibly, read it out loud. If we're going to serve Christ as individuals or as a body of believers, we need his power for living. And that divine power only comes through true knowledge of him, which is only found in his word. Verse 3 again, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. He's called us to his own glory and excellence. Peter used this word several times in his first letter. First Peter 1.15, he called, we are called to holiness, believers. <clears throat> there we go. First Peter 2.9, we are called out of darkness into his marvelous light. First Peter 3.9, we are called to bless those who revile us. First Peter 5.10, we are called to his eternal glory in Christ. And in this passage, we are called to his own glory and excellence. This calling is accomplished through the knowledge of God's glory and goodness. You're going to see that in a minute. When Christ called us to himself by his grace we perceived his divine glory and the beauty of his moral character. I want you to think about this. When you got saved, before you placed your faith in Christ, Jesus became beautiful to you. 
You came, to see, you came to see him as what you wanted, what you needed, what you need. What causes anyone to truly love and follow Christ? It's when they truly see his glory and his excellence, his glorious divinity and his perfect humanity. See, we perceive both his divine glory and the beauty of his moral character. He became compelling to us. I don't know about you, but I had to have Jesus. And we trusted him for our own salvation. It is his glory and his excellence, verse 4, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. The word by which are plural. It's pointing back to what? Both his glory and his excellence. Again, his glory is the manifestation of all of his divine perfections. His excellence is his moral perfection and purity, especially as displayed in Christ in his life here on earth. By which, pointing back to both his glory and excellence, he has granted, given as a gift, here's that same word again, we've been given a gift which flows from the very divine glory and perfect virtue of Jesus Christ. And that gift contains what? His precious promises. The word precious means that they are of exceeding worth, of matchless value, and they're very great. They're extraordinary. They're magnificent. And his promises are those things that God has already declared to us that he will do for us in his word. And that's where we place our hope in what he says, right? And let me just name just a few. I think I took two minutes, and I only went through 1 Peter, just, just skimming. God has promised that in 1 Peter 4 and 5, we will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for us and we're being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. He's also promised in 1 Peter 1, 7 that our trials refine our faith and will result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He's also promised in 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7 that God will give us grace as we humble ourselves and that he will exalt us at the proper time and that we can cast our cares on him because he cares for us. He's promised that. In 1 Peter 5.10, he promised that after we've suffered for a little while, he will restore and confirm and strengthen and establish us. And not the least of his promises are the one we just read. He's promised that his, through his divine power, he's granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. And there are so many more. And we only know them through his word. Through his word. You're not going to get this any other way. Verse 4. So that through them, those are his promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature through trusting in his promises and living in light of them we become partakers, sharers, sharers of the divine nature. It doesn't mean we become gods. It means everything that is communicable between God and humanity, we, we become partakers of. In other words, we increasingly share in his character, in all the ways that human beings can become like God. We begin to be like him, like Jesus. Why? Because we've been given a new nature. We're born again by the Holy Spirit, and by his grace, 
we have escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire, verse 4. All of the depravity, the sinfulness, the decay, the ruin that's in this world because of evil desires, evil desires that we used to share, by the way, but no longer do. Why? We've been changed. We have been given new hearts and with them new desires. The power of sin has been broken in our lives. And yet, as long as we're in these mortal bodies, the presence of sin still clings to us. That's why we have to daily wage war against it out of love for Christ by trusting in his promises, which are found in his word. Am I starting to sound like a broken record? You need his word. You need his word. You need his word. So do I. Trusting in his promises, which are found in his word, by which he transforms us daily to be more like him. And his spirit reveals more and more of who he is through his word. Thank you. And by his grace, we come to know him better and better through his And his grace and peace are multiplied in his lives because we're coming to know him through his in the life of each one of us individually, in our groups, and in our church. And we receive all these things that pertain to life and godliness through knowledge of him. True knowledge of God brings grace and peace in our lives and it brings power for godly living. And I have to stop here. I don't want to. Ask a couple questions and I'll be done. Do you know him? Do you know him better today than you did yesterday? Are you seeking to know him better today than you did yesterday? Do you know his word? Do you know it better than you did yesterday? This isn't like a a notch on the belt. Somehow I've done my thing. No, we need to know the Lord. Do you trust his promises? Do you know what they are? Do you see his glory as displayed in his word? Open his word. Ask him to reveal himself to you today. Satisfy your spiritual hunger with God's word today. Increase in your true knowledge of God and receive his grace and his peace and his power that you need to live a godly life in every circumstance. Oh God, I I don't know what to say other than thank you. Your words in your word are food for us. We need to hear you. It makes no sense if we say we love you that we don't want to hear you. I pray that in each one of us that you would amplify our desire to hear your voice. Oh, Lord, reveal yourself to us. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we need to know you so much better. And I pray as we struggle with our flesh to open the pages of your word that you would give each one of us great encouragement, that you would set before us the true joy of knowing you at whose right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Oh, great holy God, we love you. Thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand uh, for the benediction.
That you would be mindful of us What do you see? It's worth looking our way We are free that we never should be sweet release from the grip of these chains like ranges ringing from the weight my heart no longer keeps from
So I was sitting in the back during the sermon. Um, there's a bunch of young families back there. I like sitting back there with my kids. There's coloring, so it keeps me busy and occupied and <laughs> keeps my hands still. Um, st- <laughs> um, and just thinking as, as we're going through Second Peter, um, just reading through Psalm 119 is just a regular habit of reading through because I need to be reminded often. I'm like, oh, it's good. I must do. So there's this duty that I must read God's word. But there is a joy in reading God's word. So I'm just going to re- I'm not going to read all of Psalm 119, I promise. I'm just going to take just a few. Um, Psalm 119, starting 97 through 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is over, ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from evil. Excuse me. I hold back my feet from evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. I couldn't choose. I was a little distracted because there's like four different chunks of this I wanted to read. Um, It is a joy and a privilege to have the word of God so accessible. And you've heard it a million times. There are places in this world where it's hard to get. But we have access to it. And just to take advantage of that access and to gather together. That's part of the reason, this isn't a sales pitch, but why we're reading through the word together. It's that daily feeding that we can come and we come to church on Sunday. We are rejoicing and celebrating together because of what we've been fed on all week. So with that, um, let's close our service today. Um, I will give you 10 minutes. That way the families that are in the back, they can meander their way forward. Go grab a cup of coffee if you're staying for the meeting, then we'll gather back in here in about 10, 15 minutes, and we'll get started. So let's pray and just ask God to bless this day. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that it is clear. Thank you that it has depth. Thank you that it keeps my feet from stumbling. Thank you that it makes me wise. And not for wisdom's sake, Father, but that I know you. I'm becoming more like your son. Father, help us today as we go through the rest of the day, through this week, to spur each other on, to encourage one another with your word, the truths of your word, as we apply it to our daily lives. Help us to lift one another up. Thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for giving us the body of Christ. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.